Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is a fabulous day. It is February 2nd, and uh, we're just thrilled to have you here with us. And uh, so let's see if we can make it through this broadcast without any technology issues. There's been a couple here recently, but uh, when you were all using technology to dial in to a program that's driven by technology, it can be some challenges. So February 2nd, it's a special day. You know, there is actually, this is really a special day for someone special as a part of our broadcast each and every day. It's Alice Alvey's birthday. Happy birthday, Alice. So those of us, if you could just join me real quickly, humor me with this. It's happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alice Alvey. We appreciate so much Dear you. All right. Oh, <laughs> there you. you go. It's the day that just keeps reliving itself, right? Groundhog Day. So. Yeah, Groundhog Day. Yeah, you're born on Groundhog Day. That's what you say to oh. that. So anyway. <laughs> Thank you. It is truly, it's truly, well, you're, you you do so much for this industry and just want to take a moment to celebrate your uh, birthday, a special day, but you really do give so much to this industry. You're such a service-minded person, Alice, and it's really, really fun to have, have you on the broadcast. Right? <laughs> we hear about so many people say, she has so much, I can't write it all down. So it's good to have you with us and say thank you and happy birthday from all our listeners. Uh, this is a broadcast created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. And we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. Very exciting to have that. Uh, we also appreciate uh, you joining us. Today's hot topic is going to be on the TRID which is the, the you know the upcoming rule, the regulation, the pending integrated disclosure. Well, we got Alice Alvey and a special guest, Jason Roth of Compliance Ease, will be talking to us about uh, this very important topic. And uh, many people are whistling by the I characterize it whistling by the graveyard. They're assuming their vendor is going to be handling it. And there's this old thing called the savings and loan salute. It's what everyone else points to everyone else as. I thought you were handling, aren't you? And so everyone's fingers are pointing at everyone else except themselves. Folks, you need to be dialed into what's going on in this. It's an important topic, and we're going to be focusing our broadcast, the hot topic part of our broadcast today, on that topic. So, Alice, thank you again for heading up that on your birthday, nonetheless. Also say a special thank you to our sponsors, United Guarantee. would like you to know that they support the FHFA's Affordable Housing Initiative with MI guidelines for qualified borrowers that help moderate-income families and individuals purchase homes that they can afford. The key is finding those homes that they can afford. We had some appreciation here, but many markets, that's still very possible. These MI guidelines are consistent with the company's deep commitment to ensure the mortgages we or they protect on behalf of lenders and are well-suited for the borrower's financial situations. United Guarantee offers flexibility, including coverage up to 97% LTV loans, and uh, they allow gift funds. That's something that's a little bit unique. And again, with FHA insurance, now FHA insurance has dropped, but these guys are still more affordable than even the FHA insurance. So 
It's really important. If you want to learn more and catch up on all the announcements, what they're doing, go to www.ugcorp.com or contact your local United Guarantee sales representative. Mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Great to have them as a sponsor. Thank you so much, UG. Yeah, it's just UGI. It's always a way we refer to them forever. So anyway, good to have them with us. Velma stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They're also a sponsor. We very much appreciate them being a part of the broadcast. They send out the emails notifying all of you. If you're not getting those emails, let me know. Send me an email to D-L-Y-K-K-E-N at mbs-team.com. We'll make sure you get you added to the uh, distribution list on that. Uh, great service they provide, and it's really an email broadcast service. And I, I encourage you to get a hold of Velma, uh, specifically Brent Emler there. does a great job of taking care of his clients. Uh, they were referred to us, and boy, I'm sure it's one of the best referrals we've had. Just do an outstanding job. Of course, we say thank you each and every week to our regular contributors, Alice, Joe, and Andy, uh, for all that they contribute to this broadcast, as well as to Sam Garcia and Tony Gartano and Paul Mollo and all the others. So much good information here. Upcoming conferences, the National Mortgage Servicing Conference is coming up in Dallas, February 23rd through the 26th, and the Midwinter Conference is up in Avon, uh, Colorado, and that is March 7th through, excuse me, March 4th through the 7th. With all of that, let's run over to Joe Farr. And, uh, Joe, good to have you with us on the broadcast. And uh, where are you, buddy? I try to look for you on the dialed in. Oh, that's right. Uh, I just realized, is uh, Joe going to be with us today? I thought for sure he was, but I have a recollection. I don't see him dialed in. And uh, so let's take a quick look over at the website. We've got some activity going on. Personal income came in today at uh, three-tenths of one percent, which is pretty much pretty close to what was projected. Also, you look at the core PCE numbers, again, uh, very close to projections. Uh, the construction spending was a little bit of a disappointment. came off of four-tenths of one percent versus the eight-tenths of one percent. And the ISM services index, again, that's off from what was projected. Uh, the prior month, it was 55.1. It was projected to come in at 54.5. It actually came in at 53.5. So that's a miss. Now, what's interesting is some of the volatility that's going on here today. Uh, it, it prices, interest rates are moving, well, it's actually pretty close to par where it started the day off. Uh, it, but it was, move, prices were moving on the downside, move, mortgage rates were moving up. This week, we've got a lot coming up in the calendar. We have, by the way, some more information today. Uh, cons- let's see here. No, that's it. That we, we got that that covers the information today. We got factory orders tomorrow. ADP payroll uh, change information. ISM services index index jobless claims productivity. Lots of good information here that'll be uh, focusing on and looking at throughout the week. Non-farm payroll and unemployment rate. That's probably the biggest information we're going to be looking at. See if there's any change to the unemployment rate. Suspect not. Currently at 5.6. Anticipated to be right there as it was last reporting period. So lots of good information. Check out the website at mbsquoteline.com. Joe Farr and his team do a great job of tracking all that's going on in the markets. And, again, I say this all the broadcast, but it's really this conciseness of the information. They get it to you in a timely manner. You don't want to become a market analyst. You want to be out there focusing on your business. And this helps you know exactly which way the market is moving so you can be handling it accordingly. It's good to be with you. And uh, just so excited to have each of you join in on the broadcast. And we'll be right back after this brief break. 
Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us. I forgot to, that Joe is at the Southern Secondary Conference today, and uh, so it's just so good to have him on the broadcast. I miss him on here, and so I was looking forward to have hearing his voice. I forgot he's going to be at the Secondary Conference so if you, too, are at the Southern Secondary Conference up in Dallas, uh, be sure to look Joe up. Anyway, let's head on over to uh, Paul Malo, who is tracking all that's going on, does a great job. And I encourage you to check out his website, www.imfnews.com. Paul, good to have you with us. What stories are you tracking today? Well, um John Bancroft crunched the um, income from some of the regional, publicly traded regional banks. We found out that in the fourth quarter, mortgage banking income was down 13.5%. That was sequentially. But for the full year, the the 20 banks that we track uh, in that index uh, earned $3 billion off of mortgage banking. Now, now that sounds pretty good, but it's actually down about 30% from the year earlier. And I guess that's not surprising. It includes such banks as M&T. First Republic of uh, First Republic, which does a lot of jumbo stuff as well as Cardinal Financial. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what it says. It's not um, you know shocking that mortgage income was down, but it'll be interesting to see how the banks continue to compete for, uh, with the non-banks, which you know it, it looks you know continually from our numbers that we crunch from our origination and servicing surveys. Non-banks continue to gobble up market share, and, and some of these companies are privately held, and, and they don't have some of the same, um, shall we say, shareholders to worry about, publicly traded shareholders. It can be pretty brutal on a company, as we all have learned with the uh, carnage going on at uh, Aquin Financial and Nation Star mm. and Walter. So, you know, it's an interesting situation. And in tandem with that, uh, late Friday we reported uh, on the uh, FIFA proposal for non-bank uh, capital and uh, liquidity standards. You know, we'd been reporting on that all week, and then lo and behold, after yes. the market closes on uh, Friday, they put it out. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, the interesting thing about that, it's, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to be a game changer for anyone. Uh, it's it's a proposal at this point. It'll be interesting to see what the comments are on it and how, if at all, the agency um, – you know, jiggers with the with the final language, but you know, no one's screaming holy hell about it, and no. um, so. And it, but it is interesting. It was this thing was long in coming, and uh, widely and shall we say eagerly anticipated. Uh, and yeah, and if you look at that, it, and, yeah. By the way, Andy Shell's going to cover that topic next week on the, the hot topic segment because I think it's important. A lot of people might look into that and how should I interpret that? This is really good. Right. Well, he is going to be covering that on the hot topic, and it's really interesting that the capital requirements we were talking just before the broadcast, Paul. The capital requirements that they're proposing are actually less than what most of the warehouse lenders are proposing as minimum capital requirements. So it should be an 
if if it goes as proposed, it should be pretty much a non-issue. But we're going to go into it in a much deeper way next week on the on the hot topic segment. So, but good, yeah. I, you, it's interesting you were talking about that and reporting on it <laughs> at the end of the week. Just makes everyone think. See, I know Paul's in on the inside scoop of everything going on in the industry. So just call Paul or just read his blog. All right. Thank you. I have to call Andy again. Shell now. Thank you for thank you for that lead. Uh, we also have JPM's got a new jumbo MBS deal. This is interesting because it's, it's a fairly large, one of the larger deals we've seen in quite some time. It's $940 million. I think it's going to price tomorrow, and there's a lot of IOs in it, like 73% or so are interest-only loans, uh, and, and some of the products are a bit seasoned. So that, that's that's an interesting development as well. Uh, as far as uh, other issues on our website, stories this morning, uh, it's a good story from Brandon Ivey about why Jumbo MBS can continue to go through uh, the private market and not be re- SEC-registered deals. Uh, we also have a mortgage and acquisition uh, scoop, a company called FFC Mortgage up in Rochester, New York. It's run by a guy named Doug Riley, who I've known uh, on and off for years. Doug came there about two years ago, and they just entered into their first M&A transaction. They're buying a, a small uh, brokerage firm in New Jersey, but it looks like uh, FFC wants to expand quite a bit in the years ahead. Uh, in short takes, we have a little bit more about what's going on with Aachen, with their trouble with the California Department of Business Oversight. They settled the matter. Interestingly, you know, when, when that whole ugly episode broke out, ugly for Aquin, that mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of the focus was on Aquin's uh, delaying of uh, giving them uh, the DBO uh, all the documents they want, and, and now that they finally saddled with them, they're looking for a monitor, and the monitors, among other things, going to be looking at Aquin's servicing practices, which is interesting because everyone thought they were complaining about you know their inability to answer document requests in a timely fashion. You know, no one was really talking about their performance as a servicer in California. So you wonder if if something else, if this is going to lead to something else, but we don't know that. Uh, but we threw that out there. Uh, just a small tidbit. Uh, you know, the president's budget's out for 2016. Uh, the summary's out, but not the details. HUD was going to have a is having a press conference this afternoon at three. Originally. Uh, HUD Secretary Castro was going to be on that call, and then lo and behold, they switched right away to someone else there. Uh, Nanny uh, Coloretti, who I do not know, is giving the press briefing this afternoon. Uh, I'm not sure what's in the budget for HUD, but HUD is obviously because of FHA and Ginny. Everyone's keeping a close eye on them. And there's some legal settlements coming up with uh, Moody's and S&P regarding their uh, ratings on non-prime MBS uh, right prior to the housing bust. Uh, that's been in the, that was in the news over the weekend, so we just have a short on that. Uh, so that is all the interesting stuff, and it's all on the website, imfnews.com. Lots of stuff to track, and you do a great job of doing that. Uh, appreciate you taking time to dial in and give us an update. And, folks, if you are not reading this and not getting this sent to you on a on a daily basis, then you're missing out on some real, really what's going on in the industry. Paul's all over it, so you don't have to be. Focus on your business, as I say about uh, Joe Farr's company, MBS Quoteline. Focus on your business. You want to get the headlines? Get a connected. Get a subscription, too. It's free. From Inside Mortgage Finance by going to www.imfnews.com. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great rest of the week. You bet. Always fun. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alice Alvey, birthday girl. I understand, uh, speaking of uh, all those that you're getting quoted a lot, I mean, I understand uh, you were saying that Rob Crispin quoted you and uh, you're getting inundated. Rob does a great job with that. That uh, yeah. that 
regular, you know, daily thing that he puts out. He puts a lot of time and thought in it. It's probably one of the most uh, widely read out there in the industry, and he just does a great, great job. So, uh, anyway, uh, good to have you with us. And again, happy birthday! What uh, what you got for us today? And I know I'm really excited about having you interview Jason Roth about the trid because. Much is feared, little is being known, and I think many people are whistling by the graveyard in this one or trying to or thinking about it. But anyway, what you got for us today? Well, for the legislative report, I've got a couple things. So um, as you mentioned briefly, I've got the we're getting a lot of feedback from uh, a post I made about the FHA MIT reduction. And when you really start crunching the numbers, there are so many points you have to consider in trying to figure out if this is a financial benefit to the borrower in not just the short term but also the long term that you've really got to be careful that you don't run into a UDAAP problem, unfair, deceptive, and abusive acts or practices because if your borrower uh, closed on their current loan prior to June of 2013, their MIP cancellation provision is different than what they get today. If their loan was originated back uh, maybe, say, like 2011, when I was looking at rate patterns, 2012 rates were similar to today's, um, so that person may not get as much of an interest rate advantage, but a 2011 borrower might get, be able to get as much as a 1% interest rate advantage if they haven't already resigned. And so when you take a look at, oh, this is great, they'll get this MIT savings, you've got to be very careful that you know somewhere around eight years from now, that person's MIT would have dropped if they had stayed on the loan that they have now, and that is as much as $75 on a $100,000 loan. So I won't bore you all with the math on the radio show today. If you want some help, feel free to send me an email, uh, or, I can, or you can check out the blog. It's posted on our website, too, at mortgage-u.com, so that you're not forgetting all the components uh, in calculating the MIP refund advantage over disadvantage. Two other big things that have come up is um, FHA you know, is revising their 4155, and it's going to now all be folded into the 4,000.1. They have a couple of new things that they've added. So for those of you who watch FHA closely, they are posting any changes to this guide. They're, they have like a drafting table going on on their website, and every time they think of something that they want to add, they post it for comments. So there are a couple components out there right now uh, that our responses must be returned by February 22nd. And the main thing is the DE underwriter. It used to be up to the lender to say when they thought somebody had enough experience in underwriting an FHA to be able to now become an FHA DE underwriter by their standards. FHA is going to firm that up a little bit. They want to put in that someone had to have been underwriting at least three years within the last five years. So no more trying to find a retired FHA underwriter to uh, for your passing. <laughs> <Like me. laughs> that means I'm out of business as an underwriter. I can't retire yeah, you can't doing pull that up anymore. Your your old ID number, right? Uh, oh if you're like me, and it, it has just one letter, or if you're, you know, maybe yours is all numbers. I don't know. Mine's <laughs> all numbers. Yeah, it's all numbers. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's a big that's something you want to pay attention to. See if you think FHA is on the right track with that. Post your comments. CFPB has a new proposed rule. These comments are due by March 15th. I think this impacts all community lenders, even though they're redefining what a small lender will be. And, you know, for those of you who might not remember, small lenders get some advantages. You know, they're essentially exempt from QM. They don't even have to classify if something is a QM or not. They still might anyway just for loan loss reserve purposes and 
you know, if they see they're going to grow. But there's an exemption bucket there. And right now that sits at 500 loans. CFPB is proposing to increase that to 2,000 loans. That, to me, isn't so small anymore. Um, no. So take a look at that. Yeah, so take a look at that. Some folks might Where be Where could they look at that? I mean, several reason. people are already jump, uh, sending me messages right now. Where can they find that? That's really interesting. So if you go to the Consumer Financial Bureau website, CFPB's website, consumerfinance.org, and over they have a main tab for regulations, and then when you select that, you go to notices and comments, and it, it's going to be, I haven't checked exactly today, but it'll be one of the first ones up there uh, that you'll be able to, you know, because it's so fun to read this stuff, and at least this one's not a thousand <laughs> pages, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's such a treat. Um, so uh, Info Bites, Buckley Sandler also had a nice quick summary on it. Um, I'm a big fan of their uh, distribution as well. So check, you can check that out from them as well. Give them credit for that. Um, so that's uh, those are the two main things. Watch the 4,000 being edited because this is going to come up quick. June 1st is when the new FHA guide goes into play. Uh, and then this CFPB proposed rule you have until March 30th to file your comments. Um, the other thing, one last thing is um, now that we have a final piece for TRID, for the integrated rule, that you will have three business days to reissue disclosures from a float to a lock. That was great. We got that. In that same rule, they clarified all the places you must have your loan originator's ID number. Now, this doesn't override state rules. Some states add to the list. Uh, but at the federal level, you must have it on the application the note, the security instrument, the loan estimate, and the closing disclosure, uh, not to mention any advertising. So make sure you get that list, too, out of that proposed rule that was kind of buried in there. So that's my report for today, Dave. Very good, Happy Groundhog Day, everybody. Yeah. we got yeah, to put a note Happy birthday. <laughs> Groundhog Day and birthday day, same day. That's good. Well, we'll, we'll keep you... Coming back and having you experiencing what all that you have to say over and over and over again. We have to. You are that's appropriate. We have to. You have so much stuff. We have to listen to you over and over and over again to get all that you have. So that, maybe that is the groundhog that report. Idea, anyway, right? that's, that's funny. Uh, there you someone go. texted me. It was at UDAP. Is that what unfair, deceptive? Yes, unfair, deceptive, and abusive acts or practices, U-D-A-A-P. So the idea of I've got to make sure I'm long-term for my customer's interests, right? Um, I can't put them in a transaction that I know really, like Option Arms had this trigger point where all of a sudden things could get really horribly worse for them. And uh, this FHA difference between cancellation and non-cancellation, I think is something you need to have to make sure is on the table, your customer understands it uh, before you move forward with an application and closing. Well, someone texted me just now and said, hey, you have Alice come on and expand on what's abusive. I mean, the regulators, what they think is abusive, what others think abusive. It kind of like one person said, is spanking my child abusive? Some think it's not. Some think it is. Bring that to FHA. How much regulation on that? So there's some clarity that's desired, Alice, at some point in time when we can get to that. So we may we have to okay. spend some time maybe on that one. Anyway, good job. Thank you so much. And, uh, folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, 
Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Good to have you with us, everybody. We are uh, excited to have Sam Garcia. He's dialed in from a, uh, well, he was at a conference. He took ran home so he could get in with us, but it's good to have you with us, Sam. Give us a rundown of some of the headlines you're covering. Very interesting, great website. For those that do not know, they can head out and ch- check it out. So give us all the info, mortgagedaily.com. Sorry, www.mortgagedaily.com. Sam Garcia's phone number is 214-521-1300. Sam, good to have you on the broadcast. What you got? David, thanks for having me. Uh, what we've got today is uh, our mortgage market index, which we produce in conjunction with Optimal Blue. Um, it was up 6% from uh, the previous week last week. So uh, we saw an uptick in business. More significant, though, was that uh, FHA business rose for the second consecutive week. And, in fact, there was uh, more FHA activity last week than uh, there's been since June 2013. So we're nearing two years since FHA new activity has been this strong. And I suspect, of course, it's uh, from the recently uh, reduced premiums for FHA loans. Um, we see that Ellie uh, May put out a uh, its mortgage origination's insight report for December, and it indicates that average FICO scores on closed loans for all of last year fell to 726 from 738. In addition, average LTVs rose to 82% from 81% in 2013. And finally, average debt-to-income ratios increased to 24-37% from 24-36% in 2013. And my whole point of uh, bringing up those three metrics is that we show that there was a loosening of credit in the mortgage industry last year as uh, basically showing that credit scores are going down a little bit and LTVs and DTIs are going up. So that's a good uh, promising uh, bit of metric there. Quicken uh, Quicken Loans put out there, they give us their information for our uh, Mortgage Daily Mortgage Origination Report, and they show that they uh, closed nearly $19 billion in the fourth quarter. Mm. Um, The production was up 16% from the third quarter. And another thing was that their servicing portfolio climbed 17% over the last year. And finally, they added 2,000 people last year. So they were really quite a good, uh, they, a good success story for the mortgage industry as far as uh, some, a company that's doing well, growing origination staff and servicing. Fannie Mae put out its, uh, its uh, information for December operational data, and they said that they uh, did $43 billion in new acquisitions during December. That was up 2% from November, and it was actually the highest month since last September. For all of last year, uh, activity, however, fell to $433 billion versus $797 billion in 2013. Uh, same thing at Freddie Mac. Uh, their secondary volume was up at 8% in December, uh, and that was the best month for them since August 2013. And one other thing I'm going to bring up uh, before I go here is uh, commercial mortgage delinquency as far as loans that are included in CMBS, uh, the 30-day rate dropped 11 basis points in December to 3.92%. And uh, leading that uh, decline was delinquency on industrial property loans, which tumbled 30 basis points. 
So wow. that was the most of any category. And that wraps it up for uh, the Mortgage Daily uh, past week. Good stuff. As always, appreciate you uh, taking a moment out of your day, giving us uh, things that are on your radar screen. It's always fun to have you here, Sam. And I know you're Great racing to back to the conference, so have a have a great one. Andy Shell, Profit Doctor, always good to have the Profit Doctor in the house working with us. Hi, and, Dave. You know, it's good to have you. I know you, we both watch the Super Bowl. You watch it for the ads. I watch it for the Seahawks. And I think we were both a little disappointed in the outcome of the Super Bowl in this one. Uh, the ads were, as you didn't think, were as, as great. But uh, good to have you here. Well, at about at about five minutes left in the game, I was about ready to text you and say, "Hey, congratulations! Looks like they're going to pull it off." And then, oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, you could have pulled, you could have you could have done that at one minute left of the game, and I would have thought you're right. But oh my gosh, yeah, that was that's. Uh, um, anyway. All right, I feel your pain. I'm so this is such a great opportunity, but oh well. Well, speaking of yeah. great opportunities. Oh, well. Last week, remember, we yeah. had uh, Les Parker on, and he talked all about the yeah, forecast. Yeah. And, and kind of at the end of the day, if we distill that down a little bit, the, the bottom line of what Les is talking about is uh, volatility. I mean, it's going to go up, going to go down, going to go up a little bit more, down a little bit more. And so the, the key to it all, at the end of the day, when we start talking about volatility, volatility is just – a measure of change up and down around a central point. So mm-hmm. you can apply statistics to it, and you get all kinds of duration weightings and all this other stuff. But the bottom line of it is, from a mortgage lender's perspective, what we want to be careful about is to not be exposed to the impact of volatility. And the way that we do that is by having really accurate pull-through calculations in our hedging activities. So we want to make certain that our origination systems loan status codes are very accurately maintained and updated, make certain that the origination staff understands the importance of keeping those codes updated because as a loan moves through the process, once it's, you know, at an application, the probability of closing isn't as high as after it's passed through underwriting. And then as we get docs drawn, then it increases still. And so we track all this stuff. And by monitoring these locks, we're able to fine-tune our hedge. And as we fine-tune our hedge, we've minimized our impact to interest rate volatility that could potentially result in a financial event, a bad thing, something bad happening. So we want to lock loans instantly, and we want to make certain that our pull-through is accurate. And as we do that, we're going to be protected from rate volatility that directly affects hedging volatility, and that could affect, you know, profitability. So just matter, it's a matter of keeping up with that stuff very well. Now, Dave, one other quick point. Um, Les talked about three different uh, books. One's called um, Randomness, the other one's called Black Swan, and the other one's called Anti-Fragile. And I, I too, uh, would recommend people take a look at those. If they have to pick just one, I'd start with Black Swan, but anti-fragile is also very interesting. So good stuff from Les. And as a preview, yeah. are you still there, Dave? Yeah, there you are. Yeah, I as am. A, yep. as a, as a, sometimes I, I, I put you to sleep, I understand, with this no, boring financial stuff. I'm busily writing <laughs> notes, yes. <laughs> and as, as just a, a little bit of a teaser for what we can talk about more next week, and that's this yes. new uh, proposed capital standard. 
And, you know, we, we've already talked on the show a little bit. It's about people are saying it's a no big deal. And, and one of the reasons people are saying it's a no big deal is that it's currently warehouse line lenders will advance on the order of around 15 times capital. And that's about, if you do the math, that's about a 6.6% capital requirement. 15 times advance is 6.6 roughly. And so the regulators are proposing a 6% capital requirement on assets. And so that's that's why it's actually less than what most banks already apply. But there are some exceptions and there are some nuances to this, particularly relating to multiple warehouse lines. And also there's going to be some really interesting dynamics on balance sheet composition. Because in the past, we didn't care what our balance sheet was. We just looked at capital. We know we had our loans held for sale. We know we had our borrowing uh, liability. But otherwise, you know, what else? Who cares? Well, now it's going to be 6% on assets. And assets include MSRs, unrealized gains, a fleet of vehicles you may own. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting dynamics that come in to balance sheet management. And that's some of what we're going to talk about along with tracking mortgage company profitability yeah. and what what kind of returns can a mortgage company generate and we're going to walk through the calculations and I'll give you a, a preview real quick Dave and you and I actually wrote an article on this that ran in okay. the Mortgage Banker magazine a couple of years ago called The Future of Mortgage Banking and in that article we talked about the the math that drives calculating return on equity for a mortgage company and in our article we compared S&P returns, stock market returns as a whole, and saw that mortgage companies can generate a 30% or better, sometimes 50, sometimes even higher return on equity when a mm-hmm. you know S&P is doing 10% and a, a CD makes less than 1%. So we're going to talk more about return on equity, return on investment, and the impact of balance sheet management as a result of this proposed regulation that you know, if we already know there's not a lot of resistance because the financial impact initially looks nominal, then that means it's probably going to go forward. So we're going to have to really understand what does this mean to our business. It is going to have uh, some impact to the, some of the lower tranches, but you also hear what Alice is talking about on what FHA is proposing, what is a small lender. I mean, there's a lot of shifting going on in this redefining of some of these. And uh, this particular one, as you indicated, may not be as bad as what some thought, but you got to tune in next week, listeners, for all the information. I know counting can make your head eyes roll back in your head at times, but you got to know this stuff. And I busily take notes, and so I'm not falling asleep. I'm taking notes well, diligently. Accounting is like, I don't know if you saw all the commercials on the Super Bowl, but there was one commercial, I think it was a Mountain Dew, where everybody starts dancing, including the animals. And then there was another one where one of the guys, <laughs> they were just doing a parody of every commercial you could possibly think of to have a dynamic result. And this one guy standing there, and all of a sudden he explodes into confetti. That's what happens when people talk. That's what happens to people when they talk about accounting. They explode and turn into a pile of confetti. <laughs> you blow up their brain. Well, it is. Uh, it is one more app. It, it's gotten more complicated, but it's um, if you do it right, it gives you a distinct advantage. So tune in next week. Andy is going to be in the hot topic session, uh, the Profit Doctor. And so again, thanks so much for bringing us an update. This is sponsored by, again, Optimal Blue Secondary Interactive. Appreciate them and uh, you, Andy, dialing in. Folks, we're going to be right back with Jason Roth of Compliance East to talk about TRID. Alice is going to lead the discussion. I can't wait to get into this one. 
A lot of information we all need to start really dialing in on. We'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512 It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. We have with us today as our guest, Jason Roth. He's the co-founder and senior vice president of product development at Compliancies. Uh, Jason has uh, been responsible for, is responsible for spearheading the company's product management direction, as well as he oversees day-to-day research and product or and development operations. He is uh, a regular speaker at industry conferences and panels. I'm sure many of you have seen him at these conferences. He has been interviewed by a number of trade publications. He is not uh, in the background, and for a technology guy, I say that with all due respect because I love those people. He is very articulate on the topic, and so good to have you, Jason. Want to make sure that you are on and live. Do you hear us just fine? I am, David. Thank you very much. It's good to have you here, friend. And then I'm going to really turn it over to Alice. I've got my pen out again, Alice. I'm going to take, try to take up as many notes as I can <laughs> because this is just one of those topics. Again, we've got to get ready for this, listeners. If you're not focusing on TRID and you say, well, I'm an originator. I don't have to focus on it. Uh, or you may be a business owner and say, I don't have to worry about it. My vendor's taking care of that. My LOS company taking care of that. You know what? Uh I really encourage you, if you have that attitude, to listen to this broadcast. Alice, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, thanks, Dave, and welcome to the program, Jason. It was uh, great to get a chance to talk with you the other day and kind of hear a little bit about what uh, Compliances is doing to prepare for the TILA RESPA integrated disclosures. Um, Because I think uh, what's valuable about what Compliances can see is certainly you're working with the regulators on this. You have your own product, but then you're also working with other providers to integrate with the system. So I guess I want to just kind of um, give you a chance to tell folks a little bit about uh, the company and what you do, and uh, then we can kind of lead into the integrated disclosures from there, because not everyone may be familiar with compliances. Sure. Yeah, thank you very much again, uh, both David and Alice, for having me on today. And Alice, it's an honor to be here on your birthday. I have to say, oh. happy birthday. <laughs> um, so what we do at Compliancies is we automate compliance with all of the various lending regulations that apply from origination to closing. And then we also have a number of customers who also uh, use our products to manage compliance post-closing as well for QC or if they're purchasing whole loans or pools of loans. And the goal is really to integrate 
into a lender's existing process so that we are continuously checking loans as they go from origination to closing to make sure that they're not violating any of the laws and regulations that apply to the loans, uh, to the loan terms themselves. So we work hand in hand, uh, not only with lenders, but with their key technology systems as well, such as loan origination systems, so that we can accomplish that continuous monitoring and where we, our services is hosted uh, on the internet, in the cloud, if you will. Uh, so it's very easy to plug into existing workflows uh, because everybody does things a little differently, uh, but we, we try to be able to provide uh, loan level compliance to lenders of, of all different shapes and sizes. So for those who are still trying to get their arms around exactly what do I have to check, right? There's, um, and what is, where is there going to be, where, and try to identify, where is there going to be a gap from my LOS provider to perhaps, perhaps needing a, another provider on top of what my LOS is already going to do? So we're going to have different uh, ways to track and identify change in circumstances. We're going to have different tolerances. I mean, ultimately, we're going to have completely new forms, but now it's the truth and lending is all mixed in with this. Can you share with us some of the gaps where you see, you know, things are happening in an LOS, but it's not really picking everything up? And, and folks, this is not me trying to sell you on any particular third-party provider. I mean, compliance certainly does a great job, but uh, one of the most important things for people to understand is LOS companies are going to have to draw the line somewhere. And... And that's, I think, where folks are still trying to get a handle on. Yes. So with with TRED, with the integrated disclosures uh, specifically, there's, uh, we, we, you know, we're still as an industry uh, kind of uh, seeing how different types of vendors uh, go out and implement various portions of the new requirements. There are a lot of those requirements. But I know from what we saw back with the, uh, 2010 changes to the RESPA disclosures, with which TRID has really built on that as a framework. It, it makes significant changes, but that was when we had the concept for the first time of more or less a binding uh, good faith estimate, um, far beyond good faith. It's now <laughs> good faith in name only, really. Um, and that's where we had the concept of the changed circumstances. And I know from that it, it my my answer is unfortunately it depends um depends on the uh, the system that you're talking about but a lot of a lot of systems did put some controls in place to help uh, lenders manage the process of disclosing and redisclosing and we're going to have that in trid also uh but there there had been a, a significant amount of difficulty around changed circumstances because the the definition is is somewhat broad in the regulation and under trid it continues to be more or less that way as well so we saw um we saw it ran the gamut from um probably on on the minority side uh some some lenders and systems actually had a data uh centric approach to storing information on what had actually changed with the borrower's situation so that they would have a 
a real robust audit trail of what happened and had technology controls in place to make sure that things were not redisclosed when they shouldn't be. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there there still are a lot of lenders who manage it all on paper. So they they will redisclose and hopefully they have the piece of paper that the borrower signed that says, these are my circumstances and here's what changed to try and justify changing the terms of the loan. So I, I think that's possibly a preview of what's to come um, under TRID as well. Um, and one thing that we did early on was to develop uh, a product called RESPA Auditor, which integrates into the loan uh, origination lifecycle and integrates with a loan origination system to help uh, fill that gap a little bit. If there's if there's a there's a problem with uh, with too much paper and not enough actual uh, technology controls around redisclosure, uh, that was one of the things that we did on that. And I think uh, you know a similar approach for whoever you are, if you're a, a vendor or you're a, a loan origination system. To handle that part of TRID, I think that's that's going to be necessary. But there definitely are there's definitely a, a big difference among systems and lenders as as to uh, the the level of control that they have over that today. So does your so does compliances go out and help assess that gap uh, so that companies know what they have, and what they don't have? Is it is it possible to get that done now with this integrated disclosure rule or is it still too soon no it's it's not too soon by any means um I, and uh, i think the uh i think we're the, chuckling in the background the, because it's, it seems like a rhetorical question but well, many don't but hear some it LOS providers aren't ready yeah. yet you know some so that I I know that's it. why i meant for some it's still i think maybe too soon for them they're not ready to answer the question i don't know yeah, it, it's again. Again, I'll go with my everyone's favorite answer. It depends. I think. Yeah, depends, I think right. there are uh, there are some there are some who are who uh, we know are are working on it and have provided uh, you know specifications out to their lender customers. Um, and uh, but it's it's not too soon. I'll just echo what what you were what you both were chuckling about earlier, and uh, and that is because. Uh, there's there's a significant amount of change to not just the process of origination with these new regulations, but also the data itself, the the information that we we all store about the loan itself, because the disclosures are completely different, um, and we've we've gone for decades with uh, with fees. In particular, numbered sections. We all memorized what a particular section was. You give someone a throw out a section number, and people know what what a fee is in that section because everything's been organized that way for so long. And now that's out the window. So uh, that that can be a significant change in how you store the data, the information about fees and charges in. The loan origination system. So, um, so what we have done to to try and help with that is we in in December we we sort of adopted a uh, a vendor first or a uh, a partner first uh, approach to how we've been 
developing for the changes in TRID. And the first thing we tried to do was to straighten out that data piece. And so in December, we released our integration schema and specifications. Of course, everything's still changing, but we wanted to get that out early so that our partners and then also um, our lender customers could start to take a look at how how is the information changing and what new data is going to be collected, new delivery dates, uh, new new types of information about how you've delivered things. There's, uh, in addition to the, all of course, the, the sea change in the fees. So what we've done is to try to first get people started thinking about what information will be needed to interface with our products, uh, but that ties into what information is going to need to be captured as part of the new loan origination workflow. So right. by working by working with lenders and, and technology vendors, uh, that's that's how we've tried to help get process started early. Well, and with two different, you know, obviously you can get the data at some point, but when are you, at what point in the process are you getting accurate data, right? So it, it does seem to be a process of rerunning it. So I want to ask you a question, then I'll ask over, move it over to Dave and Andy, uh, see if they have any questions. But one of them is uh, the idea that we can't start using this until August 1st. We can't start live. Uh, so do you have a testing environment where lenders would be able to go through and run this ahead of time and start to get a feel for how in or out of compliance they are, uh, say, starting in June or July? Yes, absolutely. So we, uh, we've always, because we're a, a compliance company and we've, we deal with these rules and regulations changing all the time, uh, we, we've always had a, a separate environment where lenders can go in and start kicking the tires on new regulations. Uh, it's, it's very important, and we saw that uh, a year, just about a year ago uh, with, uh, you know, with, with the new qualified mortgage regulations, and uh, it, it was valuable just to forward date loans and see what happens, um, and there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of value in doing that to, to do, as you mentioned earlier, to uh, identify any gaps that there might be. So, so we, we made available our initial testing release along with those, uh, those integration specifications that I mentioned earlier um, in uh, the very beginning of, uh, of January. And uh, so we are continuing to uh, update that so that people can run tests prior to the effective date. It, it is a little different than RESPA 2010 uh, changes in that you really can't start using those new disclosures until yeah. until you've you hit that date. Hey, Jason, it's right. Andy. It's great to have you on the show. If I could jump in at, real quick, Alice, yep. and ask a question. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I listen to Alice every week, and there's just an amazing amount of detail. And when, when Alice does her updates, I almost want to say, stop, wait, 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 and ask five questions. And so there's just <laughs> so much here and so much going on, and like the CSBS and the AARMR and, I, you know, alphabet soup. So distill it down for me. What are the, give me the top three things with TRID on the horizon if I can get, if I can accomplish three things, or think about three things over the next week, what are they? Oh, that's a great question. 
So I think the first I already mentioned, and, and actually you alluded to it as well, um, you were talking about tracking uh, aggressively and consistently tracking loan status earlier. Um, and that, that goes back right. to what I mentioned already with, with data. Uh, data is going to be incredibly important in TRID because the data has to the data can only change in certain circumstances. We're, we're talking about a, a disclosure to somebody with fees on it, but really at the end of the day, that's data, it's information. And so the first thing I would do is look at my existing systems and talk to my origination system or similar uh, vendor to find out whether information is versioned in such a way that I'll be able to track all of the changes to fees and charges that are made over wow. time because that's going to be extremely important uh, under under TRID. So, um, so that's, that's definitely the first thing uh, that I would do. The next thing I would do is I would talk with whoever it is who is producing uh, my disclosures. If I have a loan document provider or maybe if I'm a larger lender, uh, I have a, an in-house group that uh, does loan documents and I need to see what that plan looks like uh, because the, the, the loan origination system is sort of the first part of the process um, and, uh, and, and it goes through the point where you start actually sending information to the borrower. But as soon as that information gets turned into a piece of paper or uh, an electronic disclosure, that the borrower can look at, uh, that's the point you're on the hook for whatever mm -hmm. it says. So, so the document provider is is the other key piece in this, and uh, and it needs needs to work in concert with the loan origination system. Um, and then finally, I would go to uh, the CFPB's website. There, there is actually um, some good information uh, on there, and they they have been making efforts to try and distill some of these details down uh, to, to make it uh, less of a burden for, uh, for the industry to understand and to start implementing uh, the changes. So, um, so LOS, Doc Prep, and uh, CFPB website, those are the first three, but there's about a hundred other steps as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we can get oh, to the only a hundred. Okay, good. <laughs> That's great, Jason. Yeah, I guess Thank that. you very much. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, Jason, one of the questions when you're talking about testing, and I'd like to get your analysis thoughts about this. Who inside of our organization should be doing this? Is it an IT function? Is this a compliance function? And for the smaller companies that are constrained, is this something people can outsource uh, to have tested? Or wh what's, what are you seeing going on? And then let's go to you, Jason, then Alice, I'd love your thoughts. Who's doing the testing and who should be? Well, it needs to be there needs to be an in-house function. I I don't think it's possible to just completely outsource this because it it just includes too many different departments. I mean, you mentioned IT and you mentioned compliance. Uh there's operations as well. They they need to be deeply involved in this. Um there's yep. uh sales, the the representatives who are actually uh speaking with borrowers and dealing with them. Everybody needs to know what the changes are. So I believe it needs to be managed uh, centrally in-house in, in -house, uh, by somebody 
uh, or either an individual if it's a smaller company uh, or, or even a group if it's a larger company to manage the overall process because it really involves uh, a lot of different parties. Um, we talked about the technology providers um, and, and everybody who that interfaces with, but because it impacts so many other parts of the operation, I think it needs to be centrally coordinated, but certainly um, there are vendors you can talk to like us um, who will be able to automate certain parts of that. And then of course your loan origination system, doc prep providers, and then there are a lot of, of you know, consulting firms who can help along the way as well. But uh, I, I really think that it needs to be centrally coordinated and then um, from within the organization judiciously judiciously employ um, those vendors who focus in particular areas so that you can build a, uh, a holistic solution. Uh, Alice, your thoughts? Yeah, I would absolutely agree because uh, you know that's one of the things we keep trying to stress to folks is this is a full team, full operation issue. Uh, originators are very much impacted by this, and they actually should be going out to the CFTB website today to look at samples of the forms. A lot of them don't even know that they have access to do that uh, because I think they can start looking at the form uh, even without necessarily knowing all the contents, if they just even looked at it with today's RESPA in mind and just looked at the layout of the forms, read the forms, and realized how much their script is going to change in their conversation yes. with borrowers on the form. Uh, that, to me, is what's so critical, is just the conversation is going to change. Well, that's why I bring it up. I mean, I asked the question thinking of many of the companies that are out there that we talk to on a regular basis. I don't think they're doing that, and uh, we've talked offline. Uh, Jason, John Vong, and I talk about this all the time. We're looking at vendors that are struggling. I mean, good-sized companies struggling to get this operational. We're talking to about companies that have the strong production culture that are, it's not even really on the production side's radar screen. And the reason I was excited to have you on the broadcast now is, as I put up as one of the pictures on the on the this particular broadcast, is start now. It's it's not too late to get started at this now, companies out there. So it's we do these broadcasts as a public service. The, this whole purpose of looking on lending is to bring information to the industry and help you get ahead of these things. Uh, you know, one someone at CFPB says, Dave, now that your broadcast exists, there's no excuse, even less of an excuse, we feel, at the CFPB for missing it, because you do actually do a good job of covering this stuff. So, it's, it, Jason, I'm really interested in the some of the vendors that are out there. I'm not wanting names. I know you wouldn't do it. I'm not looking for names. But of the vendors that are out there, any sense of what percentage of them are, are you, you feel are going to be uncomfortable and you being ahead of this and launching this uh, and having their customers ready, at least to the part, their their role in getting them ready, real quickly? Any percentage? Well, 50-50? Yeah, from, from what I, yeah, from what I know, uh, I, I think, I think it's probably, eh, let's see, I, I think just about everybody will, uh, will hit it by the deadline, but I don't think by the deadline is going to be good enough. I think, I think uh, a couple of months lead time is what's going to yes. be necessary for this type of regulation. Um, for that type of timeline, I'd, I'd probably rate it at about 
Yeah, that's what I thought, too. That's what I've been hearing. That's what I'm sensing. Folks, we've had Jason uh, Roth, who is with Compliance Ease, talking about the new TRID. Go back, send this broadcast around to within your company, download it, listen to it again. Really good information here. We've just scratched the surface on this one. Of course, like everything on Hot Topic, we just get the surface scratches, scratched, and we have to leave it. Jason, thank you so much for being here on the broadcast. We're going to have Andy Shell back next week to talk about the new capitalization rules that um, are being proposed, and you'll definitely want to real, uh, listen in on that because it will have an impact on some companies and probably not as much as you might think. So tune in, get the facts. Andy Shell will be the guest next week. Jason, thank you so much. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 